Coming up on Tech News Weekly, I, Micah Sargent, and my co-host Jason Howell uh, have some great interviews planned. First, we talk to the CEO of DoNotPay.com, Joshua Browder, about how the company is looking to send AI chatbots to court and also to make them lower your utility bills. Then Mark Spoonauer of Tom's Guide stops by to talk about the, frankly, kind of shocking news that Apple could in the future allow third-party app stores and sideloading of apps. Yeah, that will get interesting. Before we round things out with our stories of the week, first... Instagram has finally, 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 finally launched a way for folks to reclaim access to their hacked accounts using their friends as a way to say, yes, this is the person that they are claiming to be. And, of course, Jason Howell's story about Google activating matter to make smart homes all the more interoperable. Stay tuned for a great show coming up. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 264, recorded Thursday, December 15th, 2022. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Code Comments, an original podcast from Red Hat that lets you listen in on two experienced technologists as they describe their building process and what they've learned from their experiences. Search for Code Comments in your podcast player. And by Dell, client solutions devices orchestrated by the experts at CDW, which deliver a more personalized user experience with adaptive AI-based software that boosts collaboration wherever your team works. Learn more at cdw.com slash Dell Client. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent. And I am the other guy, Jason Howell, or am I? Maybe Are I you? am artificial intelligence. <laughs> the year of artificial intelligence. <laughs> I wouldn't be it surprised at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, a year I, from now, it could be totally possible that we're listening or watching podcasts with AI hosts. It, it just might happen. Honestly, if if not fully, um, in fact, this already happens. There is a service that will uh, take in enough of your uh, voice to then kind of help make edits. So you can just type in a word maybe that you got wrong <sighs> and it uses what it knows about you to put the right word in. Um, that is wow, not what we're talking about today, though. That's amazing, though. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Uh, speaking of the amazement that is AI, uh, I am very excited to be joined today by Joshua Browder, the CEO of Do Not Pay. Do Not Pay. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is such a pleasure to get you on. Um, it was fascinating the other day. I was uh, looking through Twitter uh, as I was kind of, you know, trying to figure out what story I wanted to cover this week on the show. And I came across one of your tweets and thought, well, there it is. And so I reached out and uh, happy to see that you were able to join us. Before we get into kind of the specific topic this week, I was hoping you could tell us about Do Not Pay in general, because you've been around, you know, and uh, if folks haven't heard of you or maybe heard about you uh, a little bit, but are curious what Do Not Pay does. Could you tell us about that? Do Not Pay is the world's first robot lawyer. And what I mean by that is it's software that helps ordinary people fight for their legal rights. 
And that includes things like fighting parking tickets, getting refunds, canceling subscriptions, all of the areas that are just a tax on our everyday life. I started the company five years ago because I got a bunch of parking tickets myself. And I realized lawyers were charging hundreds of dollars an hour for things that can easily be handled by technology. So do not pay is almost like David and David versus Goliath. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah, I mean, speaking, you, you said, you know, you got some parking tickets and you kind of had this um, revelation that, A, the lawyers, the solicitors were paying or were uh, charging a lot of money uh, for something that, you know, maybe didn't need that. Can you speak more to that? Like, I thought that, you know, lawyers, they go to school for so many years and they are uh, very knowledgeable about how this all goes. When you start to dig into it, a lot of what's uh, in the law is just a matter of filing the right forms, right? Exactly, but they make it so hard for people. Some forms are even in Latin, even in the United States. Wow. And really, it's just a decision tree. You just go down the tree, find the right defense, and then make that defense, and that helps a lot of people. So that's where the robot lawyer comes into play. The as as uh, your site you know says, the the sense is that you can have the robot sort of go through that decision tree for you with uh, with the site. Yes, but over the past few years, it was really a rules based robot, which meant if this happened, you should do this. But now we're moving into the AI based robot, where the robot decides. Uh, instantly what to do. And there's not a set rule about which way it should go. And that has allowed us to pursue much higher levels of disputes and negotiate against companies like Comcast. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you are uh, getting into uh, GPT-3, large language models. Um, Round about when did Do Not Pay uh, start using artificial intelligence as part of the process? And of course, if you could tell us a little bit more about how you are using AI. We've always used it a bit, um, mainly to find a correct defense in, with machine learning models about what works best. But recently, we started using it to actually communicate with the companies and the governments. About a year ago, OpenAI released this amazing GPT-3 API, and that's allowed us to hold a conversation with these companies. Um, we spent the past year heads down building this technology. And about a week ago, we tried it for the first time against Comcast. And in my opinion, this is the first ever bill that was successfully lowered just with AI. The AI is really good at holding conversation, but not necessarily about the laws. So we've had to retrain it with all the laws. Yeah. So let's talk about that, because um, you have this great video uh, on your on your Twitter where you show the chatbot bill negotiating um, with the with the agent on the other side, be that, you know, a chat bot itself at first and then becoming a person. Um, but this is, this is something that I think is important for folks to understand. I was hoping you could talk about kind of the difference between uh, chat GPT, which we've talked about on the show before, uh, where you can go into that system and kind of talk, uh, type in some questions and get answers versus this where you're using the API. And, you know, it, when the live agent is saying things, it's not spitting out strange answers uh, that you can sometimes get when you're using chat GPT. So does that mean that there's a way for you to kind of train the system? And if so, 
how how do you go about doing that um, as a company? Do you do you use your own personal records of how things have gone in the past, or do you have a team that collects this data and uh, tries to train the model on that? I'm just curious about the whole process there in general and why uh, this specific version, um, you know, by way of do not pay, uh, seems to have successfully negotiated down a bill. Yes. Yeah, so to your point, so ChatGPT is a consumer product that um, anyone can go and chat with. And it's, it's a cool product, but I don't see it having any practical use case because it actually makes up a lot of answers. Um, it, it kind of BSs a lot. Um, but in <laughs> contrast, the, the same technology is available to businesses through an API, um, the OpenAI GPT-3 API, and there's one called DaVinci as well. And that's really great because you can retrain it. And so what we've done is we said, based on the past 10,000 cases um, that do not pay process, write a letter based on that. And then it not only has its language training about holding a conversation, but it also has the legal training um, to actually get the right result. And that's why our, if, if uh, we were processing this Comcast dispute through regular chat GPT, it wouldn't work because it would just mm. make up a uh, fluff. But because we've retrained it, it's a lot better. I should say that it's not perfect. If you go into the actual chat uh, that we did, it's too polite. It keeps saying thank you, even when uh, you don't necessarily should be saying that. Oh, man. that's Now, see, that is fascinating to me because you have this, this chat bot that in, in sort of trying to fill out the process, you end up having to, to make it a little bit meaner, I guess, is <laughs> when it comes to uh, the training, how does one go about doing that? I mean, I, I've never seen the API uh, and, and kind of how that all works. Are there sliders you can use to say, be less kind? Or is it about training it um, with phrases and with responses that uh, have a little bit more roughness to it? Or just, I guess, pull back on the thank yous. Is there a way to tell it, hey, don't say thank you so much, cool it? <laughs> So you're going to have to, we, we believe we're going to have to have multiple AI models uh, in this conversation. So oh. after the chat, after the open AI uh, model is done with its response, we need to have another model saying, does this even need a response at all? Um, and that's what we're doing to kind of prevent it from saying thank you all the time. Um, and, and that seems to have worked when we're launching this in the next two weeks publicly. Beyond that, also, the AI is very manipulative. Um, it, it actually lied to Comcast. We didn't tell it that there were service outages. It just made that up. And <sighs> as a company with legal liability, we don't want it making up stuff. So we're having to rein in, make it, make it more honest, I should say. <laughs> now, that is fascinating because... I don't know. There's a a friend of mine named Bika, uh, Bika Sargent. And, uh, you know, maybe he has has been a little dishonest in those uh, systems before to, you know, the the outage is not as bad as, uh, you know, as he may have said. So it's definitely a human technique for sure to say, oh, that's the end of the world. My Internet isn't working and uh, it hasn't worked for three weeks and I just need it fixed when in fact it's just been out for the last 15 minutes and you're wondering if they're going to get it back online. So I can't blame it uh, for choosing to be a little dishonest or I don't even know if you can you know, consider it choosing, but um, it's fascinating that that's something that you have to consider. And that is kind of the 
the way of looking at this from the, the perspective of a company using these tools as opposed to an individual, where, as you pointed out, you have to consider uh, that liability. And, uh, you know, this isn't part of the original questions I was going to ask you, but I am curious um, how much of what you do ends up more being about we have to rein this in or we have, as, as you've been experimenting with AI, how much of the solutions that you're having to do are more about kind of liability and concern over what could uh, go wrong as opposed to just letting the magic happen? I would say that it's mainly to just placate the Twitter reply guys who say, oh, you're being so <laughs> dishonest. There's not actually any serious liability with telling Comcast that the internet's barely working because in most cases it, it does barely work. Um, I, I would also say that these disputes aren't rocket science. Um, they're just such a drain on our lives, like get, spending three hours dealing with Comcast uh, over yeah. a $20 bill. And so that's the perfect job for software. So all of the ethics experts who say this is the end of the world, I would disagree with them. I would say that this just takes a lot of stress off people's plates. Yeah, especially around the holiday season, for goodness sake. I can, you know, be focusing on that instead of the bill that's suddenly gone up. Now, um, the the tweet that I had mentioned earlier that caught my eye um, was from you, and it says... uh, Anyone with a speeding ticket hearing coming up, please DM me. We want to build a do not pay bot that listens to the court hearing via your AirPods and whispers what to say with GPT-3 and large language models. We just want to experiment and we'll pay the ticket even if you lose. I love that someone responded and said, "Um, I kind of want to get a speeding ticket on purpose just so I can participate. Uh, I definitely thought this is so interesting. Um, so tell us more about this idea uh, of, of sort of having legal defense available on the fly by way of chat GPT, or, or I should say GPT-3. So our corporate negotiation product and government negotiation product that we were just talking about will be available publicly to everyone, and they can go crazy with it. But this is separately an experiment where we want to be the first people in history to have a robot fully represent someone in a U.S. courtroom. And so when we posted that, the lawyers started going crazy. They said, (laughs) you can go to jail, all of this stuff. But we were like, guys, there must be some place in the U.S. where it's not illegal to have AirPods in in your ears. They might just not have written the rules. And so after I posted that tweet, about 300 people DM me with speeding tickets. And our legal team is just going through finding where can we do this in a legal way to be the first company to do That is amazing. And I cannot wait to see that play out because I will tell you, um, we every week have a meeting where we kind of go over what's going to be happening in the given week. And I, uh, at the time I said, oh, I'm going to be reaching out to do not pay. This was when I saw your tweet and I had not yet reached out to you. I said, I'm going to be reaching out to do not pay. And then mentioned that thing. And at least three people in the meeting were like, oh, is that even, can they even do that? Is that going to be like, can you do that? And so it is really fascinating to hear you talk about that a little bit more. And yes, I've sure somewhere there's got to be uh, a place where this can, this can happen. And uh, <laughs> I just love the idea <laughs> of it whispering. Now say this to the judge. Um, so now I guess uh, the final question I have for you here, uh, any few, I mean, you, you clearly are, are coming up with this inspiration left and right. Any future uses of GPT-3 that you and the team are thinking about that you can share uh, with, with the listeners? Uh, any possibilities there? 
So we're working on this uh, AI lawyer feature called Tag Along. And what it does is it just follows you around and every company you interact with, it just like harasses them for like refunds and discounts and things like that. So we're going from uh, proactive where the consumer goes to the AI and says, lower my Comcast bill to reactive where the AI is just sitting on your shoulder as the general counsel for the consumer protecting them. And I think that's very powerful and can save people a lot of money. That's amazing. I've got a little, I mean, they, Comcast sees as a little devil on my shoulder. I see it as a little angel on my shoulder and it's saying, yeah. bro, your bill could be at least $30 lower if you did this. That's pretty cool. Um, of course, folks can head to do not pay. And in fact, if you head to do not pay and uh, click at the top where it says top features, you can see just some of the possible things do not pay can be used for. You've got so many different options listed on the site for uh, how do not pay can help. Uh, so of course, as I mentioned, folks can head there to learn more about Do Not Pay. But if they want to follow you online and maybe stay up to date with this um, AirPods court saga thing, where should they go to do so? I'm very active on Twitter, jbrowder1. And if you follow me there, you can see all the lawyers saying I'll be going to jail. <laughs> Brilliant <laughs> and wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, all right. Up next, third-party app stores for I iPhone without jailbreaking? Uh -huh. Couldn't be. Couldn't mm -hmm. be. Uh -huh. More on that soon. More on that soon. But first, let's take a little break so I can tell you about Code Comments. We're bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. This is an original podcast from Red Hat, Code Comments. So, you know when you're working on a project... And this could be uh, any kind of project. And, and you have these little notes that you leave uh, for yourself, for other people, uh, particularly in code. That is uh, a very common uh, practice in code to say, oh, this is what this does, or uh, come back to this later because this is an ugly way to fix it, but I just needed to get it done. Uh, those are code comments. They help others learn from your work. They help others to realize kind of how things are done. Well, in much the way that those code comments work, that is what this podcast is about. It lets you listen in on two experienced technologists as they describe their building process. There's a lot of work required to bring a project from whiteboard to development, and none of us are able to do that alone. The host, Burr Sutter, is a Red Hatter and a lifelong developer advocate, as well as a community organizer. And in each episode, Sutter sits down with experienced technologists from across the industry to trade stories and talk about what they've learned from their experiences. So there was a recent episode of Code Comments uh, where they were talking to David Duncan, who is uh, an AWS, that's Amazon Web Services, uh, partner Solutions Architect. And this is pretty incredible because it talks about open source with AWS. When you've got such a huge company like Amazon Web Services, one of the backbones of the modern web, how do they make use of uh, open source technology? And how do they make sure that they are honoring that open source technology. And that's what the conversation ends up being about. But what I love is that while this conversation is going on, you get all these little tidbits, these beautiful little comments that get thrown in there that just add to the experience and make you go, ah, hmm, 
Ooh, it's very fun. Uh, so definitely well worth checking out and uh, learning so much. Uh, episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also head to redhat.com slash code comments podcast. So search for code comments in your podcast player. Of course, we'll also include a link in the show notes and our thanks to code comments for their support of this show and all of twit. Thank you, code comments. We appreciate it. All right, back to the show. All right. Uh, Micah, as you said, it seems like uh, hell is freezing over or whatever kind of analogy you want to put to it. Because <laughs> this week, news broke that Apple was preparing. And by the way, this is news broke, but I think at this point it's still kind of unconfirmed. This is, but this is happening behind the scenes. Apple is preparing to do something, I think. I think I never expected to see them do, but uh, everything seems to be changing right now as far as Apple uh, in the EU, especially uh, Apple will be allowing third party app stores. Seems like a pretty big about face for the company and joining us to share his thoughts on this uh, news is Mark Spoonauer, global editor and in chief at Tom's Guide, who wrote about Apple's crumbling walled garden, as you put it in your headline. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while, so it's great to get you back. Thank you for carving out a few minutes for us today. So, sure. first of all, obviously, this is all based on a report uh, from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, who actually was on the show last week. Um, that really sets the stage for for what you wrote about. But let's start with kind of the news or the report itself. What exactly do we know based on on uh, Gurman's report? Yeah, so this is all based on the Digital Markets Act, which is supposed to come into effect um, in the coming year. And I think this is Apple being proactive and trying to get ahead of the game uh, to a certain degree. And so the big headline that's coming out of this is that Apple could open things up to third-party app stores, or they're saying outside app stores. And this is like a very like world upside-down scenario, as you were saying, mm -hmm. because for years, Apple has railed against side, so-called side-loading apps. And in fact, it was one of, for them, one of the advantages versus Android where you didn't have that security mm -hmm. hole, right? So now, if it, they're going to be touting this as a potential benefit for customers in the coming year, how are they going to spin this? And um, are they going to say, like, well, we made it more secure, right? So that, that's one way that they could potentially spin it. But, but yeah, but there's no question this is, this is a sea change uh, in terms of, of what could happen with Apple. So if Apple says, and I, I suppose this is all uh, speculation right now, because right. I, I don't know how you know how many details we actually have. But if Apple is to say, all right, we're allowing side loading, you can bring on third party uh, app mm -hmm. stores, and it's secure, which would be the difference compared to the way Android was doing it. And I'll go ahead and throw that in air quotes. Um, like, do we have any ideas as far as like how that could be done, quote, securely? I mean, side loading really opens up the the floodgates for any number of, of apps to be installed. I, I, I envisioned some sort of mechanics uh, on iOS that would uh, allow for qualified apps to be installed third party, or I'm not even quite sure. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so what the report says is that Apple would mandate certain security requirements. So we don't know what those are, but obviously there'd be a laundry list for that that would be handed out to developers. And then Apple may also choose to, to verify apps, which I thought this was a really interesting fine print huh. part of the story, uh, which would require a fee. So how much would that fee cost? And it would it be enough to recoup the losses that the app store might face by having third-party app stores to begin with. So you know, whatever Apple does, they definitely have to paint a picture where 
you know, we've we've seen side loading done in the past. We figured out a better way to do it. Here's how it's going to be more secure than what we've seen before. Mm, interesting. Do we have any idea as far as like when this would be happening? Is this you know coming up soon, early next year, or did did a uh, uh, yeah. Herman have any insight into like w- what the timeline is for something like this? Yeah, it sounds like it could be as soon as WWDC because they're talking about this being Uh, potentially integrated into iOS 17. So that would be announced in June. And then so that means that everyday users could see this functionality as soon as the fall of next year when the iPhone 15 debuts. So it seems like a very rapid timeline. uh, But if that is true, that means they've definitely been working on it in the background. Yeah, no kidding. Right. This might seem like a sudden thing, but um, I imagine with the intensifying EU scrutiny, you know, leading up to where we are right now, where it seems like every other week there's like this this report or announcement that, oh, wait a minute, Apple's doing this thing that I never thought they were going to do. And it seems to be pointing <laughs> to EU. No question, you know, Apple, they're, they're smart. You know, it's a smart company. They've been working on on their ideas around this well before the EU has said you need to do this. And speaking to that, is this right. in, you know, it, as far as we can tell, is this a direct like, has the EU specifically said, well, you know what, you're not, you know, there's there's no third party app stores and, and this is uh, this is not no go for us. Or is this Apple being proactive and saying, well, this is this is going to help us out in the long run. So we might as well just do it. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, because if you look at the Digital Markets Act, one of the things that it calls for is opening up not just to third party app stores, but also third party payment systems. And Mm -hmm. the report Mm -hmm. goes into the fact that there are certain aspects uh, that they're being sort of that they're entertaining, but they're not necessarily putting their full weight behind. So one example is third party payment systems. So the likes of like Spotify finally being able to say, hey, you could just pay us without having to go through the app store and like the 15 to 30 percent cut that Apple would get. Obviously, that would be good for Spotify. So and then there's also another thing in the report that talks about iMessage. Right. So one of the things in the Digital Markets Act Mm -hmm. talks talks about like core systems and features that should be shared with outside parties. Right. But and, and then we all know that Apple's been under pressure to embrace RCS, uh, but they're not right. they're not doing that. And I think Tim Cook went, went as far to say, like, get your mom an iPhone when he was asked about this. Yes, right? indeed. That's uh, right. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so it sounds like they are cherry picking what is what they could possibly do, and they may decide to not comply with certain parts of the Digital Markets Act that are not in their best interest. So obviously that would cause some friction, and that's where it gets really entertaining. Yeah. I guess my mind is is kind of spinning around this idea that like Apple might choose uh, to be a yay on third-party uh, app stores. Third-party app stores and iMessage opening up for everyone. Those are two things that I kind of thought those were hills that mm-hmm. Apple would die on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yet, they're just, yeah. it, according to this report anyways, if it's true and it all comes to fruition, the app, the third-party app stores thing seems to be going, but Apple's still very tight-lipped and, and you know holding tight to this idea that, the, that iMessage might not open up. So those are a couple of examples, though, that you're talking through, um, aside from the iMessage, iMessage um, example, that doesn't seem like is changing at least anytime soon of Apple's walled garden crumbling. What else would you put in that bucket? Sure. I mean, there's a couple other things that are mentioned here. One is NFC support, right? So the fact that you could potentially use NFC for with inside an iPhone for something other than Apple Pay, which I think would be a big deal because obviously mm-hmm. they, they talk about the simplicity of using that. 
uh, opening up the Find My network to other, you know, to other third parties. They've already done that with a couple of key finders, but Tile could be another. And we've seen some other examples of this. So, for example, like on a Samsung TV, the fact that you could use AirPlay and stream you know, content from your iPhone to a big screen, big screen TV. And then more recently with uh, Windows 11, that the fact that you can tap into uh, the uh, iCloud, your, your iCloud photos from within the Photos app that's built into Windows 11 are all signs that the, the walled garden is, is crumbling down for, for better or for worse. And I think there, there is an argument for them actually being able to differentiate on the, on the hardware and software side, because obviously we all know that that's what they're all about. It's how the hardware and software works together. If you have to share more yeah. of your core features, does that advantage go away? Yeah, that'll be an interesting thing to, to watch play out. And actually mm-hmm. speaking exactly to that, right? Like a lot of this change is, if not all of it, is entirely driven by the EU's um, kind of a renewed focus on this in the last couple of years. But then mm-hmm. now we have the rest of the world, right? That's, that's kind of looking on the outside, uh, from the outside looking into the EU where all these changes are happening. You know, we've got the, uh, the USB-C, uh, connector coming to the iPhone <laughs> soon. And, and, you know, you've got this and, you know, any, any other number of changes that haven't already been announced or whatever. And I guess my, my brain kind of jumps to, okay, so if Apple's making all the, all these changes within the EU, does it behoove them to just embrace it worldwide? Or do you think that Apple's going to hold with their, with their might and with their claws onto <laughs> the fact that no, you know what? This only happens there. Everyone else, you're getting what we, what we've uh, been doing because we aren't compelled necessarily to do that yet. Why should we? What do you think? Right. I, I think that they'll probably start on the hardware side in terms of universal changes, right? So they have to comply with the USB-C change for the EU, but it makes no sense for them to make different iPhones with dif- different charging ports for different no, parts of the world. But what we're talking about here is software. And I think even though these would be key ingredients to iOS 17, ostensibly, right, then yeah. I, I think it's possible that they would just maybe treat it as a trial balloon, like we're, we're doing this in the year in Europe and they may just wind up waiting to see what happens in terms of regulatory action in the U S as far as antitrust activities that, that could be happening in the near future. So to me, I think it's probably going to be more of a wait and see approach in terms of being more universal with type, with the types mm-hmm. of changes that we're talking about. Um, but at the same time, if you are putting in all of this work and someone in the, in Europe says, Hey, I could download Fortnite now, but you can't in the U S then there's going to be people who are saying, well, why can't I do this? So they have yeah. to be able to anticipate the the backlash for not being open everywhere. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Now, uh, final question here, it has to do mm-hmm. with kind of, you know, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, sideloading, third-party app stores. This is all very commonplace for Android. It's been there practically since the beginning, um, and, you know, with, with good and bad results, let's say. Um, if there are any lessons that could be learned from that, like, decade-plus that Google has been doing this, uh, sideloading right. third-party app stores and that sort of thing, what is that lesson that Apple can take away, you know, having the um, having the ability, the the kind of good place that they're in to say, oh, well, they've they've taken a lot of the lumps and a lot of the bruises. Here's what we can learn to do it better. Yeah, they can definitely wind up looking very good if they come up with a more secure way to sideload apps. And they definitely won't call it sideloading no matter what it is, because then it looks like they're being hypocrites. So I think what happens is that. um well, the one thing to think about is just security overall. I can't tell you how many stories that we've done on Android that talks about there's a new security threat 
and it affects mostly those who sideload apps. But then you also have the Google Play Store, which has not been very secure at all, and I think has been a feeding ground for malware and uh, and adware and all sorts of scams. Not that you know the App Store has been immune, but it's been much worse on the Android side. So yeah. if Apple needs to prove that whatever they do on the third party front is as secure or almost as secure as the regular App Store and sort of just keep that security advantage or at least the perception of better security. There we go. Right on. Well, I'm going to be uh, curious to see what is the next thing that signals hell freezing over as far as <laughs> as, as Apple changing, uh, changing course on some of this stuff. It's fascinating to watch. And I uh, just want to thank you for your time. It's great to have you back. Mark Spoonauer uh, is with Tom's Guide. If people want to follow you online, where can they find you, Mark? I just go to uh, at M Spoonauer and follow us at Tom's Guide. Right on. Thank you, Mark. Happy holidays. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Uh, coming up, Insta- uh, Instagram's security level is increasing. That's right. They're doing some new things in security that we're going to talk about in Micah's story of the week. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Dell Client Solutions Devices orchestrated by the experts at CDW. The people at CDW, they get that your unique workforce has unique needs for their devices, especially as we all continue with hybrid work. I'm looking around because I'm hybrid working right now in the corner of my bedroom. It's a challenge for IT to supply devices that can actually meet everyone's needs, right? Everywhere they happen to be working, especially so that they can stay connected throughout the day. Well, luckily, CDW can help custom configure Dell client solutions devices for a more personalized user experience. And basically what this means is that your workforce gets adaptability for performance uh, with AI-based software that actually learns how your team works. It optimizes workflows uh, along with that. And check this out. Dell client solutions devices have intelligent noise detection and cancellation along with high quality video that adjusts with your lighting, uh, which is pretty cool. This fleet of devices is really great because wherever your team works, its built-in security responds to malicious attacks. That's providing a secure way to boost collaboration and productivity from anywhere and keep everyone safe. So when it comes to seamless experiences, Dell Systems makes adaptive performance possible. CDW makes it powerful. You can learn more about all of this at cdw.com slash Dell client. That's cdw.com slash Dell client. We thank them for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right, we are transitioning into our stories of the week, starting with Micah. Yes, indeedy. So, one of the most common questions uh, I get, or I should say we get, Leo and I, on the radio show, it comes up time and time again. Somebody calls and they say, I was trying to use my Instagram account. And it appears I've been hacked and hmm. they uh, either get, they've gotten a message that they clicked on and then they get an email that says, uh, you know, your password, we, we need to check your password or your account's been hacked, whatever. In any case, in uh, it's somebody who has set up this process to get that person's password and access their account and then hack it. And people kind of wonder what's the point of doing this. And in most cases, uh, this is a this is a system where a bad actor or bad actors are trying to get a 
bunch of Instagram accounts that have history of being used of, of accounts that are actually active and, you know, have, have uh, sent messages and have uh, liked posts and have commented on things because those uh, those accounts are less likely to be flagged in the first place as bots or spam or what have you. And then they use these accounts for all sorts of different things. Um, one example is uh, systems that can you, you pay and then a bunch of accounts follow you so that you can uh, increase your follower account. Um, you pay and they look at your most recent video so that your views go up. Uh, you pay and they like your post so you get a bunch of likes on a post. Uh, and in some cases, companies that are you know trying to do product sales will pay and they use these fake accounts to reach out to different Instagram users and say, hey, we'd love for you to be a brand ambassador for this company. Uh, you should check it out because everybody on Instagram who's looking to be an influencer will get then excited about that and potentially you know sign up for it. So there are all of these reasons why uh, someone's account would be hacked. And because of that, it is a profitable or potentially profitable thing to hack Instagram accounts. So it happens a lot. And that leads to us getting that question, what do I do? And up to this point, it's mostly been, there's not really a whole lot you can do. Go through the process that they provide, you know, forgot my password, da, 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 da. But now um, Instagram has officially launched a URL, Instagram.com slash hacked. And this is a lot like Facebook.com slash hacked. It is a destination, uh, they call it a comprehensive destination, that lets you gain access to your account through different means. Um, you can, uh, it, it will tell you, uh, it, you know, if it's a matter of being hacked, then you can say that. You can say, oh, I forgot my password. Um, the login code was sent to a mobile number or email I don't have access to. Someone used my name, photo, or information to create a new account so you can uh, report when someone is trying to pretend to be you. Uh, if your account was disabled for some reason, basically all of the different standard complaints that someone would get uh, or have about Instagram pop up here so that you can get help in one place with this. Because the complaint for the longest time has been, if this happens, you're just out of luck because it is almost impossible to get in touch with someone at Instagram uh, for support inquiries. And uh, there are different means, you know, it'll show you depending on what you've set up with your account. Oh, so you, you were not able to log in. Well, uh, can you give us one bit of information, your username, your number, uh, an email, and then it can send a code to that phone number to help you find it or send a code to an email to help you gain access to it, all sorts of methods. But what is awesome is that um, one method that hasn't been available to people uh, up to this point, except for a small group, was the ability to have two of your Instagram friends verify your identity to let you back into your account. So, check. Well, so you, not, yeah, no, this not verification quite, is not blue check. Um, so this says, you know, let's say I get hacked. I like that though. Um, yeah, so I get hacked and I'm not able to access my account. I can go through this process and I can say, uh, it'll look at your Instagram account. It'll look at people who you are following, who are also following you. 
uh, which they then, you know, kind of consider friends. And then you, oh, and you also need to enter a previous password that you've used. So this is in the, in the instance that your password has been changed by the hacker. You type in a password that you've uh, entered in the past. Then you choose two friends. So I could choose uh, uh, Jason, who follows me and I follow, and uh, Ant, who follows me and I follow. And then they will both get notifications. And if both friends confirm within 24 hours that you are you, at that point, you will be able to get access to your account. So they do encourage you to reach out to your friends. Uh, to yeah, I was going to say hey, that that would be, yeah, depending on yes. how that comes through as the person, the recipient, it, it could almost seem yeah, if like it comes through as a, a text, uh, if it comes thing. through, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so you do need to, you know, let your friends know, hey, I don't have access to my account and this is what I'm trying to do. Can you help me out? Um, then they should be able to give you the information that you need or say, yes, Oh, that's definitely Micah. Oh, yes, that's definitely Micah. Instagram at that point can go, okay, this account has been hacked. They give you the option, the uh, ability to reset your password, and then you're able to, to get in. So, again, that had rolled out to a few people that they were trying it with. Now it's available to everyone. I think that is probably, among everything, the best method uh, because the other stuff, you often have somebody who changes the email who changes the password, who change, you know, changes all those things as quickly as they can, and then you're not able to gain access to it. So by Instagram keeping a history of how these changes have taken place, now suddenly they have that uh, option to do so. So, nice. um, yeah, I think this is great. Uh, I am curious if someone... Well, okay, so that's the thing. Someone would have to have my... Because I was thinking like, oh, well, what's to stop someone from... Um, doing this to me going on instagram right now typing in my username and then getting two of my friends to say yes because they are um pretty sure that this is my uh or you know because they're pretty sure that those people will respond because they'll think it's me because your friend might like if i got one of these i know i need to reach out first yeah but right if you know if someone uh, maybe they wouldn't the way that that's protected further is you have to have a password that was used to access the account. So it's not, um, it's not as simple as just typing in someone's name and even just annoying people with this, you know, it requires you having one of their passwords to do so. So on top of this, there's also some more kind of, um, automatic filtering that's taking place. Uh, basically they are, um, already going to remove accounts using they've, they've kind of updated their upgraded their automated systems if they find an account to be malicious uh or it's per impersonating others then it's likely that the account will be removed because that of course goes against their community guidelines but also because bad actors don't immediately use those accounts uh maliciously specifically to avoid this uh filtering they are also going to send you warnings or provide warnings. So, for example, um, if someone, if an account uh, follows you and you're not, you know, they're, the, the filters are going, okay, this might be a fake thing. It says, um, Alex Anyways One has a similar, so this is great. Let's say, um, Jason, your name was uh howler 357 okay and Close. 
Thank you. And someone who's trying to pretend to be you creates an account, Howler358, and they try to follow me. I will get a notification whenever I get that uh, following and it says, hey, this person has a similar username, profile picture or bio to one of your followers. Try to make sure the people that follow you are who they say they are before confirming. It will then show you the person who actually is your follower. And then below that, it will show you the the new request of the the fake person or the potential fake mm. person. Fake person. So then you I can like say that. no. That's smart. Yeah, isn't that great? Uh, mm-hmm. Then you can say no. That's not going to work uh, for me because they're not real. And then also in the coming months, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, they will also be sending warnings if an account uh, that may be impersonating a business sends you a direct message. So you get a direct message from somebody that or from some account that is claiming to be, I don't know, target, uh, target underscore outreach underscore global or something. They can say, ah, this is probably not real. And so you may not want to respond to it. And also please uh, mark it for spam if it is fake. Uh, And Mm -hmm. then last but not least is, so for the longest time, um, Instagram has had verified accounts uh, for particularly, Instagram has done it in a way that Twitter kind of used to do it, where particularly for people who have had multiple people impersonating them, um, or if they're a notable uh, media personality or what have you, um, all these different reasons why someone might need to verify that they are who they say they are, um, then they would get a little check mark uh, next to their name after they went through the verification process. This now is uh, going to just show up in more places. So it used to be that it was uh, tended to be like, on their profile page itself, you would see that verified badge, uh, but mm-hmm. not in too many other places. They're just increasing where it's going to show up. So um, now you can see verified badges in stories and DMs, uh, and eventually you'll also be able to see them in your main Instagram feed. So again, accounts that are verified to be true and real, check mark that gets um that that is going to increase. But I think the bigger thing here and the thing that I'm excited about as a person who answers these questions so often is Instagram.com slash hacked. So more people will be able to regain access to their Instagram accounts um, through means that I'm, I'm glad are available because if you're trying to get help from uh, the, the, the sort of call or, or, you know, try to get to support, that's probably not going to happen. So it's good that uh, this is going to be available this way. Uh, isn't it nice when a company like this has like a trust and safety council? Um, oh, that, yeah, that is know, a good thing to about, have. Thinks about things to, to protect their users. Yeah, I know. It's, it's you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot to ask, honestly. <laughs> it's just, I, you know, In this it's day and a, age, apparently it is. <laughs> uh, no, that's yeah, good. I like those cool. changes. That sound that sounds really helpful um, and long overdue. So, absolutely right on. All right. Well, my new my story of the week um, has to do with uh, the Internet of Things, smart home devices getting smarter. Um, just this morning, Google announced 
It has officially completed its beginning rollout of Matter, of the Matter protocol. Um, it's doing this to a large swath of its Nest devices, uh, as well as uh, just completed or completing today, rather, the, um, the updates to the Android operating system. And we'll talk about more of that in a second. But what is Matter? Because I feel like Matter as a topic has been kind of cycling through our shows for the past couple of years. And mm-hmm. even when this news happened, I feel like I still had to read up and kind of like re-educate myself on on matter, even though even though really it's it's really dead simple. Like the purpose here is to create a smart home protocol that everybody can get on board with. And actually, this has been a collaborative uh, process. Google, Apple, Samsung, Amazon, and others have all kind of banded together to make this matter protocol something that they can all agree to, that they can all work uh, towards with their devices so that things aren't complicated. Because as we know, the smart home can be very complicated. It's gotten easier. It used to be incredibly complicated. It's gotten easier. But when you've got one unifying kind of protocol like matter in place and everybody agreeing to that, that just means that things are going to get better and easier and, um, you know, more interoperable, uh, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So, uh, this, it creates a simplicity in a, in a place where things have been just really complicated. Um, this, the use, uh, Wi-Fi and thread wireless protocols in order to communicate. So they're kind of all using that same wireless protocol. And for now, matter is isolated. Um, and I, I didn't realize that they were isolating it. So it makes me wonder what, what some of the other categories will be beyond, but smart sensors, smart lighting, smart plugs and switches, smart thermostats, smart locks, media devices. Do you have any sense, um, of like what comes beyond this first rollout? Um, so, so yeah, that's the, the reason why they, are not rolling it out to other devices just yet is because those are the more complex ones. So oh, I see. Um, they started with the easier. Yeah. And probably, I mean, based on that list, they, they may be easier, but they're also the ones that you're probably going to find in the majority of people's exactly. homes. You know? So the, the most popular but also simpler uh, ones to roll out and to work with. And the good news is they're working on the more complex things this is just what's finally uh, available to roll out. And the reason for that is mostly because of how these different systems are set up. So um, the a lot of it is using Thread. Thread is a low-power protocol. And so it's not the same as, you know, a, a security camera, which you, you can't do Thread over a security camera um, because Thread is meant for was originally created for these low power devices um, or low power connectivity between devices. So it can be there to say, turn this off, turn this on, um, or, or when the contact sensor breaks, then send this notification to let it know that this has happened. But it's yeah. not meant for sending huge packets of data like a security camera or something like that. Um, and, th- you know, with Thread kind of being part of the the sort of base protocol for matter um that is why they're kind of rolling it out with those devices that are using thread to uh to do this because it's just a simpler process um Mm. i have a a question for you how do you force restart a pixel phone how do you because on my iphone i hit the volume up button the volume down button and then i hold the side button and then the phone restarts reboots 
Is there some magic way to restart a Pixel? And the reason I'm asking is because I installed all the latest updates for everything. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I've been trying uh, this morning to onboard my first Matter device that up to this working. point has only worked with HomeKit. But I can't get it to work. And I think that something that would help that is if I rebooted my phone. But I don't know how to reboot a Pixel. <laughs> That's certainly a possibility. So it could be two things. So first of all, to answer your question, on my Pixel, when I hold down power and volume up, I think uh-huh. it's those. Oh no, sorry, that's that screenshot. No, sorry, it is it is power and volume up. I power get a restart. Up. I get a power menu. Oh yeah, there restart. it is. So I could do that, that's or I could hold down power for like ten seconds, and that would force it off, and then it would reboot. Um, so that answers your question. I mm-hmm. would be uh, curious to know if that actually solves what you're trying to do. Me being because the only way that Google is able to push, well, maybe not the only way, but the way Google chooses to push out some of these major updates outside of like a major OS uh, update cycle, like, oh, you've uh-huh. got a new system update, you know, and you have to go through that whole rigmarole, um, is through Google Play services. And that is a server side switch sort of thing. That's like, they end up pushing that kind of behind the scenes. Um, you might get an update to your Google app that, that contains that, or I think there's even an app for Google Play services, but you might not have received it yet. And if you uh, haven't received that update yet, that update is going to be the thing that actually puts the tentacles into your OS to make this work. And uh, if you haven't gotten it yet, it's not, a you know, rebooting your, your device isn't going to do it. And I actually think that when you get that update, like just um, organically, you don't have to reboot in order to see the effects. It's just like they kind of go into a place right once they're installed. Um, yeah, I mean, so th- that's the thing is I can go into the home app and uh, I now have the option to add a Matter device. Um, oh, okay, it's so just that's that, there. Yeah, and it even what I liked about it is that after I scanned the Matter code, it showed on screen, uh, it actually pulled up the um, plug the, an image of the plug that I was trying to get to connect. And then that's where it stalled out. So basically Got I'm it. just doing all the troubleshooting to figure out where things have gone wrong because everything's working on the Apple side. Uh, but this as you know, it's just right when I get to that last step of doing the pairing, it just spins and spins and spins. And then it says it can't find the device. And so that's what I'm trying oh, okay. to figure out still is what's, okay. what's gone wrong there. Um, yeah. So it appears I do have what I need, but I just thought, Oh, I might as well do a fresh restart of everything because the, yeah, of course, no the question point of you might as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, the point of matter here is so for example, with these Eve devices that I have um, one of the, selling points of Eve, which you can find these at evehome.com. Um, one mm-hmm. of the selling points of these devices has always been that they don't have some cloud connectivity. They're very privacy minded. They're very secure, uh, security minded because they literally just work with HomeKit and HomeKit is an, uh, a local area network uh, home automation system, meaning that it doesn't need to talk to a server somewhere to connect and do all that kind of stuff. It all happens locally on your network. But because of that, these Eve devices you couldn't use with anything other than Apple HomeKit. But now because of matter, it is opening up to these other platforms. So mm-hmm. I would, in theory, be able to use, I always do the pointing the wrong way, this Nest Hub um, or the Pixel device or whatever other device uh, that might have me being able to say, hey, boo-boo. I can't even say that very loud because it also- <laughs> I know, because sometimes boo-boos. that triggers yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I gotta be quiet. Uh, but 
then I would be able to finally use these Eve devices if I wanted to with that. And I will be honest, this is almost exclusively for the sake of testing and being able to talk yeah, about it yeah. rather than me actually using it because I've up to this point used all of this stuff just with Siri and it's been fine. Um, yep. But A, it's fun. Uh, B, it's complicated. I will tell you um, the... And it's also the so, promise. It's really the promise. Is, it is, is the promise. They would all, you know, exactly so you right. want to make sure that it actually delivers on its Absolutely. Promise. No, no. So I'm in the beta right now for uh, Eve because you have to... It's an open beta, you can join it, and then they will send you the um, invites to get the app version, the beta version that actually lets you install the Matter firmware. So I went through that process, um, I guess, a couple of days ago. And essentially what you do is you hold out your phone with the Eve app open and you say, hey, I want to upgrade this to Matter. It, you know, chugs and downloads and sends it all, blah, blah, blah. But it generates a uh, digital version. It's a Matter code uh, that is a QR code. And then you have to, they give you the option to save it or print it, whichever one you want to do. And then they make you immediately afterwards scan it to prove that you actually saved it. Because if you don't have it, then that's obviously a problem. You need to have that Mm -hmm. code. And so this morning when I was, uh, I saw your, it was actually, it was funny. I I jumped into the Tech News Weekly rundown. I saw your story of the week and I said, oh, I got to hop on this. (laughs) So I, you know, looked to see that the Google Home app had been updated, blah, blah, blah. And then it was asking for that code. So I just pulled it up on my computer. I scanned it and it was ready to start doing it. But that's where it's stalling right now. So I'm just, I want to get these early, you know, uh, problems out of the way, how I solved it so that I can answer that Mm -hmm. question for other people. But in any case, you're absolutely absolutely right. It's about that promise of the truly interoperable smart home that, you know, people have been talking about for years. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, so if you've got the Nest Mini, the Nest Audio, the Nest Hubs, uh, Nest Wi-Fi Pro, the Google Home, the Google Home Mini, all these devices are basically now uh, matter enabled or will be by the end of, I think, even today when, when Google made the announcement, they were like, by the end of today, this will all be working. So hopefully you'll have your answer here pretty soon, Micah. Uh, if you don't already, that could be the reason why you're not getting it quite yet. Uh, more devices will be updated next year. Google's going to bring matter support to its iOS app early 2023 as well. So this is, you know, really as far as Google is concerned, Google's involvement is concerned. Android only, uh, iOS coming soon. And, uh, yeah, I think I've, this is so needed. And so it's really exciting. I know Stacy Higginbotham on This Week in Google, she was talking about it yesterday on the show, how, uh, or maybe it was even in pre show that, um, you know, she wants to do a big deep dive into matter like six months from now when there's a lot of devices on the market yeah. and we have a better understanding of how, you know, is this living up to the promise? And we're right on the cusp of this after a lot of waiting. So uh, so it's good news. You know, Google isn't the only company to roll out the support either. Apple already has. Samsung already has. Amazon's in the wings. So I think Amazon's the last of the four you know biggies uh, involved here to kind of jump jump onto this. So I'm I've been checking the news every day. Waiting for Amazon to say it's, you know, oh, we've rolled this out too. That's what I've been waiting for. Gotta, gotta come anytime, especially, you know, since they're (laughs) behind as any, everyone else, you know, that's doing this. So, uh, so anyways, good news for IOT. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe you'll get a device that supports it, (laughs) uh, this, this holiday season. I don't know. 
but it's the holiday season. That's right. <laughs> You'll get an Eve, maybe. I don't know. Um, but there are a lot of other devices that are going to be coming out uh, by the end of this year, even, um, is what Google Absolutely. said. So, uh, so look forward to that. But we've reached the end of this episode, Tech News Weekly. We do this show every Thursday, and you can find links to uh, all the places you want to subscribe. If you want to subscribe in audio, video, on YouTube, they're all listed on our show page at twit.tv slash TNW. Go there, subscribe, and then wait, because we will deliver our podcast to you um, on a silver platter. Indeed, a beautiful, gleaming silver platter. If you'd like to get all of our shows ad-free, well, we've got a way for you to do that. Uh, you just head to twit.tv slash club twit and join the club. Starting at $7 a month or $84 a year, you get access to every single Twit show with no ads. That's because you are directly supporting us instead of it uh, being by way of the sponsors. So we thank you for that. And in return, you get ad-free versions of the show. You get access to the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else. You also get access to the Club Twit Discord server. That is a place where you can go to chat with your fellow Club Twit members and also those of us here at Twit. It's a fun place to hang out and it's kind of like its own little social media network. It's so fun. And, you know, the amazing thing is that it doesn't stop there. Along with that seven, uh, when you you pay that uh, $7 a month, $84 a year, you also get access to the Untitled Linux Show, which is a show about all things Linux. You get access to the short format show, Hands on Windows from Paul Therott. That is a show where uh, Paul Therott gives you lots of tips and tricks about Windows. And you get access to my show, Hands on Mac, which as you might imagine, is a show about all things Apple. Not just the Mac, but all sorts of devices. And I've got an episode publishing a little later today. So you can check that out. Uh, again, starts at 7 bucks a month, $84 a year. We heard from some people, hey, you're giving us quite a bit. I would like to pay more if I could. And so we made that a uh, possibility. And we thank you to those of you who uh, chose to do that. So please join the club, twit.tv slash club twit. We'd love to have you there. And uh, thank you to all of you who listen uh, and support the show. Uh, if you'd like to follow me online, I'm at Micah Sargent on many a social media network. And when new ones crop up, I uh, claim at Micah Sargent. Uh, as much as I wish that I was able to have selected at Micah on everything, it mm -hmm. started with Micah Sargent. So it continues with Micah Sargent until the end of uh, my life, at the very least. Uh, you can find me on uh, Saturdays for the Tech Guy radio show, the radio show heard around the world where Leo Laporte and I take your questions live on air and do our best to answer them. Soon, we'll be doing Ask the Tech Guys on Sunday uh, at the start of the new year. So you'll be able to check that out as well, uh, or rather instead. And on Tuesdays, you can watch iOS Today, the show that I co-host with Rosemary Orchard, where we talk all things iOS, tvOS, watchOS, HomePod OS. Uh, and of course, Thursdays, uh, uh, after Tech News Weekly is when Hands on Mac publishes. So if you're a member of the club, thank you and uh, enjoy. Uh, this episode was all about the new advanced uh, security for iCloud by way of end-to-end -end encryption for most of what uh, what goes through iCloud. So a pretty neat episode for getting that all set up. Uh, oof, that's the end of that. Jason, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> you're too busy. My goodness. I know. Uh, 
<laughs> you can you find too, me though. on Twitter at Jason Howell. You can find me at twit, uh, dot social slash at Jason Howell on Mastodon, which I've been uh, participating in a little bit more than I've been participating in Twitter lately. And I can't say I'm, 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 you know, hating and I love it. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. So, uh, check me out over there as well. I'm doing all about Android every Tuesday at twit.tv slash AAA and then working behind the scenes, helping Leo with a couple of his shows, including this week in tech. So, uh, even if you don't see me on screen, I'm behind there mucking things up um <laughs> big thanks to john ashley uh at the studio big thanks to burke mcquinn at the studio and uh, for everything you guys do couldn't do this show without you and a huge thanks to you out there dear listener slash viewer slash chatter slash discorder whoever you are thank you we love doing this show and we love that you're here with us and we'll see you next time on tech news weekly bye everybody goodbye hey folks i'm Aunt pruitt and i have a question for you How do you think your hardworking team with a club twit corporate subscription plan? Of course, show your appreciation and reward your tech team with a subscription to club twit. Keep everyone informed and entertained with podcasts covering the latest in tech with the club twit subscription. They get access to all of our podcasts ad free. And they also get access to our members only discord uh, access to exclusive outtakes and behind the scenes footage and special content like the fireside chats that I enjoy hosting. Plus they also get shows like hands on Mac hands on windows and the untitled Linux show. So go to twit.tv slash club twit and look for corporate plans for complete details. Mm-hmm.